Hey, what's up, guys? This is Coach Clint with Baseball Notes. Pumped to have you on the podcast today. And uh, this episode's going to be a good one, kind of a high-level look at the sport in general. And uh, we've got John Solomon with the Aspen Institute on today. And uh, over at the Aspen Institute, they have Project Play, where they provide a lot of resources for parents, coaches, and particularly leagues. Any uh, commissioner, you know, anybody who's in an authority position looking for some information on best practices and health, safety. Um, they do a lot of research on other countries, which is what I find fascinating. And what in 2020, I think is a perfect time for us as families, as communities to really be looking and questioning, you know, what we're doing, you know, has what we've always done. Uh, is it the best way that we should be accomplishing things or is it just what we've always done? So we just keep doing it. And uh, I think you're going to kind of realize that, uh, you know, it's what we're doing here is not necessarily uh, the best way. And so John's going to share uh, about one country in particular that has, you know, gone from sort of a laughing stock in the sports world to uh, an Olympic beast. And sort of what they've done to accomplish that is not what you would think. And I think one thing to add on top of that, too, when you look at Major League Baseball and you look at the uh, big leaguers that the United States produces, those are the best seven-year-olds that our country has to offer. And what I mean by that is that the system that we have today, it's almost like we load all of our kids up at the train station and those who are big, who are strong, who have a little bit more coordination at seven, kind of get on that bus of the travel ball or you know the, the advanced coaching and they take off from the station and any player who was sort of a late developer, who was you know a little chubby at the time, who was, just didn't have it quite together, just sort of gets left behind. And in other countries, you look at, like, say, the Dominican Republic, where, you know, they're just playing baseball all year round, all unstructured, like it doesn't have to be on, you know, a travel team or else you're in trouble, right? Like as far as getting some reps in, um, you know, they are producing, you know, 20% of our big leaguers and they have the population of, you know, uh, Michigan, you know what I mean? And so you see that what we're doing here in the United States is that uh, we're, we're separating kids at a very early age and uh, may not be the best way to do that. So anyway, very interesting conversation with John here. Uh, there's no silver bullet on how to fix this with one swipe, but uh, I think that we're all primed to ready to make some adjustments and uh, can really benefit if we do so. So anyway, without further ado, here's our conversation with John Solomon. Hey, John, how you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Good, good. No, excited to have you on here and uh, kind of fun how I run into you guys here. Um, I've been thinking about reaching out to you guys to interview for a while now. I was really impressed with what you guys done. I think I ran into you guys about a year ago when you were on the HBO special and uh, talking about the, you know, the status of youth sports around the globe. And anyway, uh, I, just with the current situation that we have with the uh, coronavirus and everything, I feel like people are really, uh, you know, shedding a light on what they're wanting out of their youth experience. And so I reached out to you guys to say, hey, you guys want to talk? And I think you guys had just released this long, uh, you know, article on, you know, kind of the current state of these sports. So it's like perfect timing that I get to talk to you guys on this. So um, before we, we before we hammer into this, uh, why don't you give me uh, our listeners a little bit of background on uh, what you guys do? Yeah, absolutely. So um, uh, we're at the Aspen Institute Sports and Society Program, and our main initiative is called Project Play, um, which develops, applies, and shares knowledge to help stakeholders build healthy communities through sports. We really want to, uh, our biggest goal is to um, encourage 
uh, quality access for sports for all children, regardless of zip code, regardless of their ability. Um, you know, if there's any bias for us, it's towards we want all kids to be able to play, not just the ones who can afford it, not just the ones who are elite and going down that pathway, because we know that there's so many uh, benefits that come with sports, both physically, emotionally, socially. And we know that um, we're in a period even before COVID-19 where a lot of kids aren't getting enough physical activity. The CDC recommends 60 minutes of physical activity per day. And it just, you know, rarely happens. You have about like 20% of kids getting that. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. That's fantastic. Um, yeah, I think, I think people, you know, it's kind of funny, the people I've talked to parents, you know, academy owners, everything. Um, it's kind of like the old way that we've always done things has had some major flaws, but it's just kind of like the way it's done. Right. And, uh, you know, even like the academy owners and things like that, like in youth baseball, uh, everybody thinks they're getting rich. Everybody's kind of mad at them. You know what I mean? But here, you know, talking to academy owners, uh, their margins are very small. They're not making money. They're not very happy with what they're doing, you know? And uh, so there's this kind of like this world of like, should we be playing this much baseball at young ages? Or like, you know, why exactly are we doing this? And, you know, like I've got a son who's 10 and, you know, we've been doing like the, let's call it, you know, travel ball since seven. And it's kind of just like, that's kind of what everybody else was doing. And so, you know, like this family time with COVID-19 has been really fun. And I mean, how much, how maybe we shouldn't be spending all this time out there on the field yet. And uh, I mean, what's your guys' research on, you know, young athletes? I mean, is there any data on, you know, how on um, when players should be starting taking this more seriously? Are we doing this too young in the United States? I mean, what do you guys think about that? Yeah, we're doing it way too young. Yeah, unfortunately. I mean, we look, we want all kids playing, but it's got to be in a development, developmentally appropriate way, right? So we can't be treating kids as mini adults, as like pro athletes and playing the number of games and practices they're doing all year. There's a lot of research showing that um, early specialization, meaning just picking one sport and sticking with it at an early age and playing, say, baseball year-round or softball or soccer, whatever sport, that it uh, increases the risk of, one, overuse injuries, right, because you're using the same body parts over and over again. If you're a pitcher, you're throwing constantly, or even if you're an infielder, throwing constantly. Soccer player maybe putting more uh, uh, risk and stress on your knees and legs and all that. So it can lead to overuse injuries. And then second is burnout. You know, we've done a you know, survey of, of parents who say that, you know, the average age their, age their child quits a sport is age 11. It's usually because it stopped being fun. Um, and they're, they're sticking to a sport really on average only about two or three years, you know, depending on the sport. Um, so we need to create a better model where um, we're incorporating kids' voices in there and, and, and understanding what kids want out of their experiences. Our number one strategy at Project Play is ask kids what they want. And it sounds really simple, but a lot of adults actually don't do it. Um, and if you think about it, we bemoan and we're very critical of technology right now these days. Now video games and uh, screens are keeping kids on the couch and not playing. And that's a real you know, competitive uh, challenge for you sports. And it's legitimate and real. But if you think about that experience for kids, it's all customized for them, right? Like they can play different levels, you know, based on their, you know, expertise. And as they improve, they get to a new level. They can play with friends, have like co-players, you know, in video games. 
they can customize it the way they want, right? Um, maybe the most important thing is they don't have adults looking over their shoulders <laughs> at every single um, aspect of it and, and critiquing them and saying, do this, do that. Hey, shoot, pass, you know, all those things. Swing. Um, imagine if people yell at us as we're doing that at work, you know, hey, write, write faster, you know, like, what? <laughs> I can't do that. Um, so video games have actually learned things that youth sports haven't, and that is make it kid focus, you know, customize it around the kid. And if youth sports were to do that, I think we could lessen a lot of the problems that we have. Oh, interesting. That's a, that's a funny little analogy. I think if you wanted your kid to quit playing video games, probably going over their shoulder and being like, pass it, or, you know, down, <laughs> down, left, right, get it, you know, like that would be like, okay, yeah, you just killed that for me, dad. I'm going to go play basketball in the backyard, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, so are there any, any other models out there, like countries that do it a good job of holding their competitiveness back at certain ages? Or because um, it's kind of hard to stop the river. Like, how do we... Like, is there a model out there that we can kind of look to to be like, hey, these guys are doing it pretty good? Yeah, well, so it's worth remembering first to take a step back. Like, America didn't always used to be like this, right? That it was a highly specialized sport that was highly commercialized as well, you know, for kids and, you know, very competitive and year-round and all that. You know, it's, it's, it's increased over the past, I'd say, about two decades. I mean, for me growing up, and, and so I'm age 43, and, you know, for my generation – I played club soccer and it was like travel soccer, you know, quote unquote, but it was really just travel within your community. You know, we would go to one tournament in a summer, you know, it was, it was, it was different back then. And it was a lot more free play back then, you know, my generation, I think older generations where kids just go outside and, and find sports on their own terms, you know, initially now they're, they're often so overscheduled or in some cases, legitimately, there are kids who don't live in safe places and can't just, you know, go outside and play. But, uh, you know, one country that really does it well is Norway. Um, and they created uh, what's called a children's rights in sport uh, a document, really unlike any other in the world. Um, and it was introduced in, in 1987. And it was introduced in part because Norway was really struggling at the Olympic level. They weren't winning medals. They weren't producing elite athletes. And they started to look at, you know, why? And, and looking down at the, the lower grassroots level and really wanted to, you know, improve that area. And basically the statement places a high value, as I mentioned, like on the voices of youth. You know, children must be granted opportunities to participate in planning and execute their own sport activities. You know, they get to decide for themselves how much they want to train. And, and they can even opt out of games if they just want to practice. You know, if they want to transfer clubs mid-season, go ahead. There, there's no penalty. Uh, if they, you can suit up with a rival club in the next week. And all 54 national sport federations voted to adopt and abide by this document. It's like an eight-page document. It's nothing like really elaborate. It's a lot of common sense stuff. And it also describes the type of activities that aren't allowed by member clubs. You know, no national championships before age 13. Uh, no regional championships before age 11. Or even publication of game scores or rankings at the younger ages. The competition is promoted, but it's, it's not the development of the athletes and the Norwegian vision they sort of call joy of sport for all. And so it's really taken off there and actually it's taken off so much that uh, Norway, you know, won the last Winter Olympics. They had the most medals and I believe it was the most medals ever won by a country in the Winter Olympics. And people will say, well, it's Norway, they're winter, of course, you know, but they were doing poorly before that. And they also have done better now 
um, competitively at older ages in uh, summer Olympic sports as well. So it's, it's, you know, I don't know if it's a model that could ever be adopted across the board in the United States. Um, one thing is we don't have a sport ministry like a lot of other countries, um, but it would be interesting to apply in communities, you know, around the country, cities or counties or, or states. Yeah, that's fascinating. So it, it sounds, you know, like, oh, okay, everybody, uh, you know, like there's no championships, early age, that type of thing. You can kind of see where it kind of keeps the competitive, you know, bloodthirsty, you know, just uh, momentum kind of out of it. But to actually hear that it's, you know, like increasing performance down the road is is what is really, uh, I find, striking about that. Is that um, is that like players who weren't tall whenever they were seven aren't left behind all of a sudden? Like they're given a little time? Is that kind of what the thought process is behind it? Yeah, that's, that's a part of it, right? Is that um, we, don't, we don't know kids' real um, – skills, their bodies, their minds, their interests at seven, eight, nine, and 10 years old, right? I mean, they're still going to grow. They're still going to develop new interests. Um, so let them play multiple sports, right? And then if at some point, um, hey, you know, they don't really like baseball, but they've also been playing soccer along the way. So maybe they've already gotten that experience and some of the fundamental skills and they can shift over, you know, to that sport. Instead, what we have right now, a lot of our youth sports in America is, uh, you know, second grade AAU national championships, you know, in basketball or these, you know, you know, the travel sports, you know, tournaments all around the country, you know, in, in, in baseball. Um, do we really need to declare the, the best team in the state of Florida at seven years old in baseball or, you know, the best uh, soccer team in California at 10 years old? Um, or, or, is the, or is the greater goal to try to keep these kids in for a longer period of time, and also hopefully develop them to be athletes for life, right? So it's not just about right now and being the best 10-year-old athlete. We want them to be the best 16-year-old athlete, and then even to their adulthood, 25, 35, 45, so they continue to have this joy, and they're playing sports, and so it helps them uh, for health purposes uh, to be physically active. Okay. Yeah, no, it seems crazy. Like, uh, you see some of these websites, and there's something about rankings I don't, you know, I don't know what it does to people psychologically, but it's just like, it's like intoxicating. You know what I mean? Like, oh my gosh, like they've ranked our eight U coach pitch team or the fourth ranked team in North Texas. You know what I mean? And we're like, like, how do they even do like, there's some formula, you know, like we're like three and one in some tournament. And so we're suddenly ranked and uh, yeah, like people are just kind of, you know, kind of going crazy on that. And it's kind of hard not to fall into that trap. It's just kind of like, you know, the environment that's been created. And, you know, as far as a way out of this, is there, like, say, in the the baseball world, like, there's really not like a governing body, right? I mean, there's so many different factions at the youth level. I mean, would it take Major League Baseball or like USA Baseball to kind of come in and regulate kind of what we can and can't do? Or like, who's who do we need here to kind of, uh, kind of be the intermediate here? No, it's a good question. I mean, so one of the big challenges, you're right, is that, you know, as, as mentioned, we don't have a sport ministry in this country that oversees everything, like there are many other countries do. Um, technically, the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee under the, the U.S. Um, Amateur Sports Act from Congress, they are sort of technically charged with amateur sports as a whole, including grassroots sports. That's never really been their focus, though. I mean, it's been more about the elite pipeline, you know, winning medals, producing, you know, Olympic athletes. So there could be a greater role for, 
the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee and the national governing bodies, you know, the, you know, the USA baseballs, the USA softballs, you know, all of those. So there could be a, a role for them. Um, really, we think one of the biggest change agents are parents themselves. Um, and that is because they're the ones ultimately who are footing the bill, you know, for this and putting the money out and, and you know, taking the kids to all these travel events. If we can get parents to better understand that there is a better way, um, so education is part of it, but then also empowering them to understand how then to communicate that to coaches and youth sports organizations about what good really should look like in youth sports, that could be a real game changer. But it's, it's hard for parents because um, I actually talked to a lot of youth sports parents who are in the travel sports sector. And, and uh, there, to be fair, there's a, there's a lot that's good about travel sports, right? There's a lot of camaraderie and a lot of friendships and relationships. And you know, the competition can be fun too. But a lot of them I talk to say like, yeah, it's a lot of time we're spending. Or it's a lot of money. Or it's a lot of travel. And this is like year round and like, oh, this is kind of nice during the pandemic that like, we actually have like less hectic schedules right now. We can sit down to dinner with ourselves and our, and our whole family and uh, not be running to one practice after another, but they don't know how to get off this treadmill. It's like this rat race because they feel like, and, and in some ways understandably so, that if you get off, I'm hurting my child and it's going to impact the opportunities for uh, my, my son or daughter not even necessarily to play pro or college sports, which is an incredible long shot, but even to play high school sports and make your high school team. And so we have to show them that there is a better way and that doing this early specialization actually could end up hurting your child because they get burned out or because they have overuse injuries by the time they get to high school. Yeah, that yeah, I think you you hit the nail on the head. I think people are kind of handcuffed with like what do, like either we're out or we're in, you know? And uh like there's people that I know, you know, here in Texas, it's basically like spring is kind of like a spring and summer. Nor normally be ending, you know, mid-June kind of like this, but we're actually just starting back up, but uh normally that's kind of a long season, take a small break, and then you've got a couple months in fall baseball. And then you got kids, they still play basketball in the winter. You know what I mean? Like most of the kids like on our team, they're, they're not one sport athletes, but they do play two seasons of you know, spring, fall. And I know a lot of parents, not necessarily on our team, but on others that uh, they don't really want to play in the fall, but like they'll lose their spot. And so like, then once you lose your spot, what do you do after that? You got to find a whole new team. You know what I mean? And so like, um, yeah. yeah, like it's just kind of like, man, what, what, what's my alternative here? Because I like I'm with you. I mean, I've enjoyed, you know, having dinners with the family and, uh, you know, but the thought of like being on a boat every now and then on the summer during the summer versus just being at another tournament. And it's like, man, is this the best thing for the boys? Like, you know, that they love baseball, they love being with their friends, but like, is it too much? And it's like, how do we restrain ourselves? You know, is it the coach? Is it like the, you know, organization that you're underneath? It's kind of like, who's, who, who do we need to kind of find, you know, that alternative for people so they're not just left out in the dust? You know, no, that's kind of right. a big question. And so before um, travel sports really picked up, it used to be the local community leagues, right? Like the Parks and Rec Leagues. And that really fell off by the wayside as youth sports became more privatized. So that took away a lot of the parents who had more resources, right? More money that they could invest into the program and the volunteers, right? So you have uh, the people who could actually coach and run these leagues. So 
the in-town leagues have, have been uh, struggling. You know, we need to re- revitalize those, the, the local parks and recreation, the community league, but it has to be quality too, right? We still need quality coaches, you know, or hopefully are trained. We need to train many more coaches in our country about the key competency areas of, of coaching sports. Um, but it has to be quality or otherwise, to your point, if you're a parent in travel sports and you do want to get off and you go back to the local rec league, but then it's like, uh, oh man, this is really basic or this is just kids picking weeds, you know, and flowers. Like, no, there, there needs to be a happy medium in between where there's this another quality but lower cost alternative and it's not taking up everybody's time, you know, around the clock. Yeah, I feel like I'm not really sure what happened, uh, but I know like Little League is not a big thing around here. Like the actual Little League organization, um, like North Texas, like there's no options for that. And I always thought they had a beautiful model as far as like, at least whenever I was younger and played, maybe it's changed, but it was kind of like your bulk season was sort of like, you know, you play the good players and the bad players are all on the same team. And, uh, you know, you play 20 games or whatever, season's over, then there's an all-star team. So then you can actually play, you know, kind of like two seasons or, uh, you know, a month or something like that, uh, uh, more competitive. And that's a good little youth model. You know what I mean? Like, hey, the kids that weren't all-stars at nine, maybe are at 12 and now they're rolling. Um, So something like that, I feel like, um, you know, and I don't know what happened to their presence. I know they're big in some areas still, very big, um, but you know, I don't know if just like the travel teams have sort of replaced them or uh, what. That, that might be that might be my next interview. Reach out to Little League. Say, man, we need you. We need you back over here. So, no, I think that's what happened. Travel, travel, baseball is overtook it in, in some places. Little League is still popular in some communities, you know, around the country, and, and a good good number. And obviously, right. the Little League World Series and all that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that's fantastic. Well, if you had any advice for um, a parent right here before we leave, um, you know, they're like the parent you've talked to, right? Like they've kind of enjoyed uh, some, some time alone, uh, but they're worried about, you know, their, their, their kid falling behind. I mean, do you have any parting advice for them as they kind of head into the next seasons after this coronavirus? Yeah, I mean, some of it is um, would be interesting. It's just observe your child right now, you know, without sports and be talking to them. You know, what are they doing right now during this time? Are they still doing individualized training themselves, you know, or free play or still showing interest in sports? Or are they not showing interest in sports? And it's just, no, this is fine. I'm, I'm not missing sports. And if they're not missing sports, um, maybe that's a cue, right? Like, Maybe the sport they're in isn't right or you're playing it too much and they really needed a break, you know, physically and mentally. Um, and if they are still really interested in it, well, that's good. I, I mean, that's a, that's a positive sign that, okay, they're, they're really in this on their own, you know, as well. But um, I'd be willing to, you know, adjust and, you know, not play, necessarily play year round and, you know, find um, the, the ability to educate yourself and people can look at our website, projectplay.us. Um, www.projectplay.us. We have a lot of resources. Um, so you can ask the right questions of your coach and your youth sports organization as well. And because really, that's ultimately how the change is going to happen is the consumer who's paying for it is saying, wait a minute, uh, this isn't necessarily what best practices should be or what I want my child to experience from youth sports. Why are you doing it this particular way? And um, it's a tough thing for parents sometimes to ask those questions of coaches because it's a, they don't feel knowledgeable, and B, we've put in our society a lot of um, uh, status on the coach, right? The coach is 
in many ways viewed as the all important, he knows everything, you know, type person and coaches are great, but trust me, I'm a coach and, and we don't know everything, you know? So, you know, be willing to talk with us and raise, you know, concerns and not just about playing time, of course, but, you know, legitimate concerns, um, you know, that come up and, and playing time is an important one too, actually, though it's something in project play, we actually promote um, equal playing time for all kids uh, uh, before the age of 12. Um, so we can, let them build confidence and let them make mistakes. And that's how you learn from things. Okay. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Yeah. And the, the greatest thing that I think, you know, about that is like, yeah, equal playing time for people. I'm sure there's a lot of, you know, competitive people, good people out there that just kind of roll their eyes at it. Be like, ah, you know, it's time to earn your spot. But then when you look at the facts, you look at Norway and you're like, this is what is best for the individual. You know what I mean? And uh, now, your hopes on that Sunday game, you know what I mean? On, you know, uh, June 15th or whatever, you know, the date is that you're playing on. Uh, yeah. Maybe your, your chances of winning are a little less than because you're playing a kid who's battling through it a little bit. Yeah. I mean, the, the dirty little secret that I think us as adults don't want to admit often is that we care about <laughs> the youth sports often more than the kids do. Right. Like, we get hung up after the, oh man, they went 0 for 3 with three strikeouts or they lost the game. And that's, that's lingering with us like longer. And the kid is like, by the time they get the snack afterwards, the drink, like they, a lot of them move on. Kids are very resilient. And as adults, you know, it lingers with us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We feel like we're taking it personal a little bit. You know what I mean? And uh, so all understandable stuff and all, all things, a little training, I think would help. You know what I mean? Nobody gets real guidance on how to deal with these little emotions that pop up is, parents as players as coaches you know what I mean so um well where where can the listeners go John to find more information about you yeah absolutely so our our website um www.projectplay.us um we also have a a special page right now devoted just to youth sports and COVID-19 with a lot of like resources and understanding what return to play looks like that website is uh as.pn backslash COVID-19 sports. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook. And our handle is at Aspen Inst Sports, I-N-S-T. Okay, awesome. Yeah, we'll definitely make sure you guys are out there following these guys. They're doing some really good work and uh, just some really cutting edge advanced statistics. You know what I mean? Not just theory out here on what we probably think should look like. It's you know studying what's working in certain places and what's not. And uh, for a lot of people looking for a new way you know, want to live their their sports experience with their kid on their terms. Uh, they've got a lot of good resources and, and ideas, I think, for that. So, John, thank you so much for being here with us today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Clint.